Thank you, brother. Appreciate it, man. All right. All right. All right. How's everybody doing? Good morning. Welcome to my church. My name is Richard. I am on the leadership team here at my church. And I'd like to thank our lead pastor, Jeff Murphy, for allowing me to lead the conversation today. Today, we are going to be wrapping up a message series that started a good while ago, many, many weeks ago, called Running with Giants. And uh, it is the, so it is the series finale. It's over. The series ends today. So what do you do when you get to the end of a series on Netflix, you find another series to binge on, do we not? So I have good news for you. Two weeks from today, the week after Easter, uh, we're going to start a brand new series here, a uh, teaching series here at my church. And uh, Jeff Murphy's going to kick it off two weeks from now. And it is called, are you ready for the name of it? I can just tell the tension is so thick. You guys are so excited. That, that, yes, we need a drum roll. And it, it is Faith Dance. What does it mean? I don't know. I don't dance. I'm a horrible dancer. I mean, I've been, I ruined the electric slide at weddings. I mean, it's, and that's hard to do. Sir, we're going to have to leave. You're going to have to leave. You're ruining the wedding, you know. But it's electric, you know. And they say, no, not for you, it's not. So seriously, we're not, I, look, the Faith Dance Series starts two weeks from today. It's going to be awesome. And if you want to know what it's about, you have to show up two weeks from today. That's just the way it goes. So we hope we'll see you back here. But today, we get to wrap up the Running with Giants series. Now, how this works is we have been uh, basing this series off of a couple of verses in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, where it uh, refers to people, people of faith, uh, who, who live their lives uh, following God and, and serving God. And have gone on into eternity. They've died and moved into eternity. And it refers to these people as if they were in like, the imagery is like a, a cosmic eternal stadium. And they are the spectators, they're the fans watching us currently in, in current day run the race of our lives. And so uh, we, we look to their stories in the scriptures to find encouragement and lessons and, and stuff like that. So um, what our series is about is the idea that if we could invite one of those people down out of the stands to run a couple of laps with us. And so we've been doing that over the last number of weeks. And so the idea is if they could run with us, one of these Bible heroes could run with us, what would they tell us? What could we learn? How would they coach us up? And so how many of you have enjoyed the Running with Giants series. Hadn't it been awesome? We have learned some incredible stuff. We wrap it up today. And we're going to be looking at the life of an unsung hero of our faith. And uh, this is actually a lady that Jesus met when he was here on the earth doing his traveling ministry. And this particular lady lived in a, an area of the country that was like north of Jerusalem. And it, it was called Samaria. And people from Samaria were called Samaritans. And so this is a Samaritan woman. And unfortunately, we're never told what her name is. We can't, you know, attach a name to her, which is a bummer. But uh, we have over the centuries 
come to refer to this woman, lady as the woman at the well. And the reason that we call her the woman at the well is because Jesus met her at a well. We're really good at naming things. And so that's why she's called the woman at the well. And so, she, like I said, she lived in Samaria. The, the, one of the interesting things about uh, this lady's life is that at the time that Jesus was here on the earth, being from Samaria was very difficult. It was, a, it, it was complicated. And because there was so much racial tension between people who were full-blooded Jews and people who were Samaritans, they were, not, they were like uh, Jews that over the centuries and over generations had been mixed with, uh, with other nationalities. And so there was all this racism. The, the, the full-blood Jews felt like they were better than Samaritans. You guys, when we say the word Samaritan, uh, kind of brings to mind another Bible story, another phrase, anybody? The, yes, the good Samaritan. But the racial tension was such that if you were living in the Bible times... And you said to, to a Jewish person the phrase good Samaritan, they would say, dude, you used good and Samaritan in the same sentence, and that's not right. Because they were just so eaten up with prejudice against Samaritans. So much so to the point where they would like avoid traveling through Samaria because they didn't Jewish people didn't even want to come in contact. It was just horrible. I mean it was awful racism. Uh, one the story plays out when Jesus and his disciples were, were traveling north from Jerusalem. And they were heading up to where, kind of in the region where Jesus was raised, up, up near Nazareth. And so uh, they're, walk, they're heading through, and they decide to travel straight through Samaria. But most Jews would never want to travel through Samaria. It's like driving through New Jersey. You just never, ever want to do it. Anybody? Are you with me? Just don't. Just trust me. Don't do it. So, but Jesus and his disciples are cut straight through Samaria, and they're walking through, and um, it's it's around noontime one day, and they come to a village, and they they come to a well that that's just outside, maybe half a mile to a mile from a village. And Jesus said, "All right, gentlemen." He's talking to his disciples. He says, "I'm gonna, I'm just gonna park it right here. I'm gonna sit at this well and chill. I'm very tired." I need you guys to go into town, buy lunch, then come back. We'll have lunch, and then we'll figure out our, our travel plans for the rest of the way. All right? Now, that is what is happening when we pick up our story. But one more thing I want to tell you before we read the story. And there's a reason why today we're talking about the woman at the well as our, as our biblical hero giant person that we want to come out of the stands and coach us as we're running our race. There's a reason. And it's because that when I read this story, I see, I see myself in the story. I see a lot of similarities between me and the woman at the well. Now, I am obviously not a Samaritan woman. I am an old a white guy from Mississippi, but that, be that as it may, I still find a lot of similarities between me and her. And the reason is, is because, and, and I'm going to basically ask you guys to go on this journey with me. 
as I look at this conversation, basically the verses we're going to read are this long conversation that went on between this Samaritan woman and Jesus. And as they're having this conversation, I'm, I'm seeing the way she thinks and the way she responds to some of his questions, some of the questions she asks him. And I'm going, whoa, I think like her. I believe like her. I feel like her a lot. And I've made a lot of similar type of decisions and responses that she is making in this conversation that she's having with Jesus. So I'm going to ask you guys to open up your minds and, and just, let's just check it out. Maybe you can see a little bit of yourself in her responses as well. You willing to go there with me? Well, if you're not, we're still going to do it. So you might as well. I mean, let's make the best of it, right? So there it is where the stage is set. Let's read the story and let's talk about how this went down between Jesus and the woman at the well. So it says in John chapter 4, and that's where this story plays out, and we'll start in verse 7. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Now, press the pause button there for a second. Nothing odd about this, or nothing seems odd about this. A Samaritan woman came to the well to draw water. That's what you do when you come to a well. You draw water. And although it wasn't fair at the time, the roles in the family or is that the women would go to the well daily to draw the water that, that a, a person or a family would use for usually a period of a, about 24 hours. They would, they would draw enough water to use for drinking, for their, their animals and livestock to drink, cooking, cleaning, whatever. And so the women of the village would come to the well and they would draw the water. That's not odd. That's, that's what goes on. What is odd, though, is that this took place at noon. Because when, when the women would go to the well to, to draw their water, it would normally be either in the morning or in the evening when it wasn't so stinking hot outside. Doesn't that make perfect sense? But this lady is coming high noon and, and, and drawing water. You see, when ladies would come to the, to the well to draw water, they would stand in line. They'd wait their turn. They'd talk. It was like the water cooler, literally. Back in the day, they would say, oh, have you heard about so-and-so? I love what you're doing with your hair. Um, can you believe an 11 seed made it to the final four? They would talk about whatever. So they're having these conversations. And this, but, but this lady comes to the well at noon when this stranger passing through the area it happens to be sitting at the well. What was the deal with her? Well, we find out a little bit later in this story, and we'll get to it, that her, this life, lady's life was pretty complicated, and she had a really bad reputation. She had been with, married or had been with, at least six different men. And m more than likely some, or maybe all of them, were men of that village who were from that village or lived in that village or used to live in that village or whatever. So this lady, she was kind of a, marked as a, as a loose woman and, and she had this bad reputation. 
And so she didn't like coming to the well when all the other ladies were there because she just wanted to deal with the drama. She didn't want to deal with the judgment. She didn't want to deal with the attitude. And so this was how her life played out. A solitary kind of life where she is going to draw water at noon at the hottest part of the day just so she doesn't have to mess with people. And so this is the first part or the first time in the story that I see something that's similar to myself. I, I see a little bit of myself in this story. And here's why. I started looking and asking myself, what are the, uh, what are the scenarios in my life that are awkward or embarrassing? Maybe just a little annoying or maybe there, there, there's, what are the situations that are super painful and like really, that I'm like really ashamed about in my life? And what do I do? What are the things that I do to set up my life so that I can function in a way that I don't have to deal with it fully or I don't have to face it head on? These are the, this is the question I started asking myself when I started putting two and two together on the water, well, high noon thing in this woman's life. And I went, dude, I'm like her because I set up these, I have these patterns in my life that allow me to just bail on a situation so that I don't have to deal with it if it makes me uncomfortable or if I'm a, or, or whatever. I, whether it's relationship, you know, somebody gets a little too close, I start backpedaling. I start using defense mechanisms. I go to humor. I say something mean to, to tick somebody off. I post a snarky meme. I don't know. I just do something to put a wall up between me and the other person so I don't have to deal with them. These are, and, and these patterns in my life, they just started... You know how they became patterns over the years? It just started one day when I was afraid of something or I was nervous about something or I was ashamed about something or maybe I was hurting over something that I had done or someone had done to me and I just had to figure out a way to be strong and I had to figure out a way to function and so I just set up this pattern and said, this is how I do life. This is how it works for me. And this is just who I am now. I draw my well, I draw my water from the well at high noon so that I can keep myself safe from the stuff I don't want to deal with or I don't want to talk about. And I find myself going, can I, can I pick out some patterns in my life where I hide, where I avoid, where I try to manage situations Instead of just being real about them and being honest and recognizing that I need help. This is the first way that I see myself like in a mirror when I'm reading the story about the woman at the well. Isn't that pretty trippy? That we can see something in a person like that and go, dude, that, I, that is totally what I do. So I find myself looking at her life and then once I realize that I have that similarity, it helps me understand the whole rest of the conversation, which we're going to read here in just a second. So my, my question for you is, could you ask yourself the same question about our patterns and about our hiding and our avoiding 
in our managing of situations as opposed to just hitting them straight on. Is there ever hope for a, for a hider like me to ever find a way to live in, a, in, in such a way that I don't have to draw my water at high noon? Well, we'll get to that in a few minutes. There, there's some pretty cool stuff that the Lord wants to show us. So, let's go back to the story and we'll kind of work our way through it and figure out what it is that the Lord wants to say to us here. So, she was, she came to draw water from the well and Jesus asked her, could you give me a drink? Her response was, she, the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman and you're asking me for a drink? She couldn't believe what was going on here because of all that racial tension that I was telling you about. And, and specifically, look, we, we're pretty sure she didn't know. And we, we know. She didn't know that this was Jesus Christ, Son of God, Messiah, big deal guy that she was talking to. But she did know that he was a Jewish person and he was a religious leader And so she was shocked that he would be talking to her. Do you know that it's actually documented in Jewish religious history that at this time, the religious leaders of the day considered Samaritan people to be in a constant state of uncleanness. I mean, that's horrible. They're talking about people. They're they're tagging an entire race of people as unclean just because they think they're, they're better than them. And so that's, what, that's why she's shocked that Jesus would even speak to her. She thought that he would just sit there, she would do her thing and it would be over. But he says words to her, he asks her for a drink and she can't believe it. This is another way that I find myself mirrored in this person's life and here's how. I... I heard it said by a a speaker that I love. This guy's name is John Lynch. He's really cool. You should look him up. And he said that in in his mind for many years, the way he thought about God is he thought, hey, you know, God loves me. Uh, He's kind to me. But because of everything I've done and all the stupid stuff I keep doing and whatever, I feel like that God is in a constant state of being mildly disgusted with me. That, yeah, he loves me and he's nice and kind and I, I go to church and I pray to prayer and so he'll let me into heaven when I die. But when he thinks about me, it's, it's just what I used to believe. Because all I could see was the shortcomings and the brokenness and the secrets and the hiding and the junk in my life. I really believe that when God thought about me, his, he kind of went, yeah, like, ugh. yeah, he's mine, but ugh. that's the way I felt. And that's when, when she, when I see the Samaritan woman, woman at the well going to jail, what are you even doing talking to me? I find myself, wow, I can relate to that because I've done that before. I've said, well, what is God, what business do I even have walking into this building or, or praying or, or listening to that song or, or talking to these people? I don't belong here. I'm messed up. I'm 
I'm drawing my water at noon, dude. That's that's another way that I could that I could see myself in this woman's life. Let's let's keep going through the conversation. She can't believe that he asked her for a drink. And he says, and we're talking about water, it makes me thirsty. Yeah, he said, Jesus replied, said, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And she responds, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket and this well is very deep. What would you get this living water? Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? She was, uh, she was, he was obviously shifting the conversation to talk not about normal, regular agua. He was now talking about something spiritual, something internal. But she didn't get it. She didn't understand. And because she didn't understand, she sprinkles in a little uh, political, religious jab, you know, like, because she doesn't know how to, that's the reference to our ancestor Jacob. It's kind of this ongoing feud or part of the, part of the racial tension between the two peoples, people groups. And so she didn't know how else to talk to a Jewish person other than to, to argue. It's like, you know, Republicans and Democrats. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. All right. So, um, she, so she obviously doesn't get it. Jesus tries to go further and explain. And he says, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. This water becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Oh, so now it's on. Jesus has gone full spiritual reality talk with her. He's trying to get through to her that he's offering her something that is a lot different than just the water that they started the conversation on. Her response is probably like our response would be. She said, please, sir, woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. Sounds like a good deal. I'll take it. And then I won't have thirst and I'll have a lot less water, you know. Or maybe I'll give some of my water, some of that water to my livestock and I won't have to get them water either. This is cool. You know, if I don't have to be thirsty again, that's a win. Thank you. Can I have some? Now, that would make sense. But she says a statement we're going to look at here in one second that to me blows the lid off the whole thing and shows the real state and condition of her heart and the brokenness and the pain and the angst that this woman was dealing with. And yes, another point where I can see myself and relate to her. So instead of just saying, yeah, give me some water so I won't be thirsty again, she goes on to say this, this next phrase. And she says, and I won't have to come here to get water. I won't have to come here to get water. See, we have to remember what this well represented to her. This well, this physical, literal place she had to walk to multiple times probably every day at noon. You know what that place meant to her? That it was the reminder of her pain. It was the reminder of her mistakes and her brokenness. It was a reminder of the judgment that people put on her. And she was like, I don't want, I I would love to not have to come here again. And I'm, 
I'm, that's me too. I, I mean, it would be like, she was, you know what her response was? So you're telling me that you can give me a shot of something and that'll make all of this go away? You send that through the door right now. I am all over it. Fill her up. I'll take a double. Because I want, I want this gone. I need, th- this is what's holding me back. This is what's, this is what stinks about my life. Is this well and everything it represents. Bring on that, that magic go juice or whatever it is you're trying to sell me so that this can be over with. I want all of that stuff fixed. And that's how we, go, we approach it. And a lot of us approach our entire lives that way. Man, we are looking for the thing that's going to make all of this go away. I'm looking for the relationship that's going to help me really, truly, finally get over all the other relationships. And I am looking for that change of scenery that, that I really need in a new town. I should just pack up and go somewhere else and start over. I need, man, I, if I could just ditch this job and get that, get that better job that I could one day in a passive aggressive post on Facebook basically say to my old bosses and colleagues, see ya suckers. How do you like me now? You know, that's what I need. That's what'll fix what's messed up. That's what'll fix what's broken. Give me a shot of that. Give me, I'll take that. Give, please, sir, give me that water. Give me that thing that's going to help me. Jesus has a totally different message for her. He's like, look, I can give you a gift that will be, a, that will be the pathway to healing, to stuff in your heart and stuff in your mind and stuff in your past to actually start to heal. I'm not giving you this water so you don't have to come back here. I'm giving you this water so you can come back here. So that you can do life. So that you don't have to avoid. And you don't have to hide anymore. And you don't have to manage every situation to make sure you come out looking good. Or that you're safe. Or that nobody will hurt you anymore. This is what Jesus is saying. I can give you water. I can give you healing And it will change everything. And you'll be able to sit with your reality and say, this is my life. And I hate part of it. But you know what? I'm I'm healing. I'm changing. Something that was in me that was dead is starting to breathe again. And I don't know how it happened. It was life. It was some kind of eternal, living, spiritual water that started to change me. And now I don't have to run from this stuff. I can just do what I got to do. I can go to that place. And it doesn't own me anymore. And it doesn't crush me anymore. And it doesn't take me to the dark places in my mind like it used to. This is what Jesus is offering her. And it's what he's offering to us today. This could be us. Do you understand what I'm saying? It could be us that would say, Lord, can you give me some living water? Not that I could, not so it would be a way to avoid all this stuff, but that it could start healing me. So I could maybe actually finally change. There's hope for us.
There was hope for her. And there's hope for us this morning. And just the same way that she walked to the well, the same way she did every day at high noon, this day was different because the guy who had the gift that could lead to their healing was sitting at the well waiting on her. And today could be that for us, that we just walk in here like we usually do, or maybe it's for the first time, and you just come in here not knowing what to expect, and there he is, the guy, Jesus himself, saying, if you just, if you only knew who it was that's living and breathing in this room, I've got a gift for you today that could change everything. And it can make life start to work. And life be something you could actually do instead of hiding from. Or masking and pretending. And, and, and Jesus said, you can just be exactly who you are with all the stuff that's happened to you and all the stupid things you've done and all the brokenness. You can be, it's okay for you to be exactly who you are. Come to me and let me give you this gift of living water. That's what today is about. That's what this giant of the faith would tell us. If she could coach us up, she would say, take the water. Take the, accept the gift. It's a big deal. Now, there's a thing in your, in your message notes, if you got one of those when you came in, and we don't have a slide for it, but it's, it's just the phrase, only Christ can satisfy. Only Christ can satisfy. And that's the message of this, this living water, is that only a relationship and a connection to Jesus Christ, which may sound weird and may sound like, how do I even do that? But a connection and a relationship with Jesus Christ is the only thing that can help us through the pain and the brokenness of our lives. And not only can it help us, it can, it can empower us. It can, I mean, we can actually do life and do it well, pain, brokenness, notwithstanding. So that's it. That, that, that's part of, the, part of what we learn from the woman at the well. Let's keep going through this conversation because there's a couple of, couple of more things. That's a really big deal for us what we just talked about and we'll even see it more as we go through but let's continue jesus understood that she in this conversation she still didn't get it she didn't quite she really didn't understand what was going on that he was asking her to receive a spiritual gift so he says to her he's like okay i'm gonna go deeper so he says to her go get your husband the idea being go get your husband bring him here we'll talk we'll have some marriage counseling sip some water, and we'll, we'll keep moving. But Jesus knew what he was doing. He says to her, go get your husband. The woman replied, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one, you aren't even married to the man that you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. This is an awkward part of the conversation. Now, I want you to know, Jesus was not rubbing, his, rubbing her face in this. He was just trying to go deep into the core of, of who she was and what she had been through. He said, look, I know your pain. I know your life's not working. I know your life's all jacked up. And it has been for a while. And her response to Jesus was, sir... The woman said, 
you must be a prophet. Duh. You know, I mean, he's for her, for him to be able to like fortune tell or whatever. You know, she, she he saw right into it. She didn't. Know, she was like, "Wow, you must be. A, not only are you a teacher, you're a prophet." And then I thought at this point in the story, "Hey, man, this is her moment. This is where you, she could say, you see into me. Now, what should I do? What? What? what I, I don't know what to do. This is so broken and so messed up." Sure, you're a prophet. You're in the presence of a prophet. This great guy, he's told you he wants to give you this mysterious gift. Talk to him about it. But let's look what she says. She says, sir, you're a prophet. So tell me, she says, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? She blew it. She had a chance. And instead of going with it and, and being honest about, you know, I mean, everything was out on the table. It was her chance. And instead, she drops a political bomb into the conversation and a religious rule thing into the conversation. She's like, what do you think, prophet boy? You, you get close to my pain. I got some moves for you, buddy. That's, that's what that was. And, and don't, don't we do that? Somebody gets a little too close. We just sort of, uh, we sort of throw, sort, drop a hot take in there, you know, so be it political or religious or something that we know is going to detract all the attention from the real issue at hand. It's sad that we do that, but that's so much of our trend. So she puts up that wall and she hides behind this, this you got to do the faith, church, religion thing a certain way deal. Thinking that that, and, and Jesus, Jesus jumps right in and said, that is so not the point. In fact, Jesus's response were, was, believe me, dear woman, and I like that he called her dear woman. Because if I was him, I'd have been kind of ticked off. I said, believe me, sassy pants. And give me some attitude. Uh, but anyway, he said, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. But the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when true worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And he said, that's what the Father is looking for. He's looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit. For those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus is saying it is not a religion thing. It is a heart thing. Jesus is saying, I didn't throw out that dirty laundry about the five husbands and that you're living with the guy now and you hadn't married him or whatnot. I didn't, I didn't throw that out just to be mean. I threw that out to get to your heart. And I don't care where you worship. And I don't care what you, know, what you do or don't do in the church service you go to. What you need is you need your heart healed. And that's what the Father is looking for. And that's why I'm sitting here at this well at noon talking to you. It's not, and, and Jesus, hey, look, he didn't shy away from the fact that and, and he even said it. We don't have time to read every single verse in this, but he even said, look, yes, technically it's true that the salvation, the Messiah 
person is going to come through the Jewish line. Yeah, true. That's just the way it's going to play out. He said, but there's good news. The good news is salvation is for all of us. And it doesn't matter who your mom or your dad is. And it doesn't matter who their mom and dad is. It doesn't matter who your ancestor, what lineage you come from. It doesn't, none, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you've done and how broken and messed up you might be. It doesn't matter how long that you've been hiding and managing and drawing your water at noon. None of that matters. Salvation is here. Salvation is for you. Healing is possible. Healing is possible if you'll drop the, the mask, if you'll drop the wall, and if you'll just let me in so that we could talk and we can have an actual conversation about what's going on in your heart. Here's the thing. One of the things that this story tells me that is so means so much to me is that wherever we're at and whatever our state, state is and what our, the status of our lives, Christ will come to us and Christ will stay with us. He'll come to us and he'll stay with us. I spend all my life, I spend my life creating these patterns of, of responding in a way that would keep me from being 100% vulnerable so that I could stay safe or that I could keep certain things hidden that I didn't want people to know about. I spent my entire life constructing these patterns and then, and, and then that's what my life looks like. And I become this guy who just does life that way because that's just me. And that's me for years and decades. And then just like the woman at the well, Jesus comes to me and he comes into that mess and he comes into my pattern my fake unrealistic hiding avoiding managing kind of life and he comes right into the middle of it and i'm convinced that god wants to meet us right there right in the middle of our stuff right in the middle of how life looks for us now not the way we want it to look and not the way we want people to think it looks he will come into our real life right now and he'll say you know there's a way there's a way that we together can face your realities. We can sit with your shame. We can talk honestly about your messiness. That's what Jesus is saying through the story of the woman at the well. And that's what he's trying to say to us this morning. He comes to us and he stays with us. And she, she responds, you know, to all this. She starts it starts to break through, the woman at the well. She start, it's starting to happen in her mind. She's starting to get it. And she just goes, I, I, I don't know. I, I just know that at one point the Messiah is going to come and he's going to explain everything to us. And in the coolest moment in the whole story, Jesus locks eyes with her and he says, I am the Messiah. I'm him. I'm here. And I've come to this well on this day at high noon for you. I came here for you and for your heart, your busted up heart. I came for you. And she backs away from her, her water jug 
and her mind's spinning and, you know, and then the disciples come back with lunch and then they have a whole thing, the conversation with them and Jesus. But she is just like, whoa, what is happening? And all she can do is run back to the town. And she hightails it back to the town and she says to everybody, God, y'all got to come see this man that I just met. And he told me everything I ever did. He told me everything. He knows it all. And the townspeople are like, everything? And she's like, yes, everything. Could, could he be the Messiah? Come with me. Let's go. Let's go talk to him. This woman couldn't understand. And it's the exact same way that, I'll be honest with you myself, I can't understand. When I have put up so many walls over the years and faked it so many times and broken so many promises and, and fallen back into so many same old patterns that when, when I have a sense that, that Jesus is coming to me like he came to the woman at the well, this thing in me just says, what, what are you even doing here? I mean, I, how, how are you still here? And he says, I can, this is why I came. This is, you are why I came here. And so today, let's just, what, what if we were to just say, Lord, I don't know how to unravel all the twisted parts of my life. But what if we were to just ask him to help us with this living water that could make dead things start to breathe again? It was just before Thanksgiving in 2009, right? I was about nine months into uh, being separated from, from my ex-wife. It was a very difficult time uh, for me and for my family and for everybody uh, that, that knew me. I had been in ministry in New York State. I'd been a pastor on staff, and it was it was really awesome. And uh, but all my sins and secrets, and all the hiding that I had done all over the years, it just it just came to light, and everything changed. And I resigned my my, my ministry. My marriage never recovered. And I had a job. My new job was managing a Five Guys Burgers and Fries. That's a good place to say, yes, amen. Because it doesn't fix stuff, but bacon helps everything. You know what I'm saying? So it's before Thanksgiving. There was a friend of mine who was a pastor in the area. And he would always come to Five Guys because he knew I needed encouragement. He probably didn't even like the food. But he would come because he wanted to speak to me and encourage me. He was, his, he was a pastor. He was a man born in Brooklyn, New York. His name was Phil Osted. Phil Osted, I'm the pastor of First Assembly of God in Beacon, New York. What do you want? Forget about it. It was awesome. He, he, was, he was my guy. Talking to him was like being in a gangster movie, but with the Holy Spirit. It was wild. Loved it. So it's before Thanksgiving. It's my first Thanksgiving that we were going to go through as a, as a broken family. And I was, I was dying inside. And so I told him about it. And he says, you know, Richard, I got to tell you. And so I got to tell you, you know, I know a lot of Christians 
Christ followers. And all they do is they talk about which, uh, what, the, what their life's like and they hate it. And what their life is not like and they wish it could be. What their life used to be like and why can't they get it back? He said, I think it's a waste of time. He said, what I think you need to do is you need to just pray and say, Lord, this is my crap life. You need this guy in your life, Phil Austin. He's great. This is my crap life. Can you show me how to make it spectacular? And I was like, can I even say that? I mean, I wasn't worried about saying crap to the Lord. I, I was pretty sure he was okay with that. But I was like, can, can I even ask him after everything I did? And after, after all the people I heard and the mistakes I made and the promises I broke? What, can I be the guy to ask God, can you make my life spectacular? Is that even allowed? I'm like the woman at the well. I don't deserve, I mean, I'm just glad God lets me in the room. I mean, thank you for letting me in the building, Lord. I wouldn't presume to ask for something. But he's saying, ask him to make your life spectacular. And I began to do that. And Thanksgiving was hard and Christmas was hard. And here it is nine years later. And you know, there are questions that still never got answered. And there are broken parts that never got put back together. But I'm telling you, life is different than it was when I started praying. Amen. I'm, I'm with you, brother. He's feeling me. I don't know what your problem is. He's with me. But, um, but, like, but, but when I started praying and asking God to make my life spectacular, he just started doing what only he could do, which was offer me some living water that could change everything. So that's my question today. Could we ask him for for some water to to help the dead dry parts of us the very last thing in this story that's important for us to know and that the woman of the well if she could come down out of the stands and coach us up a little bit she would tell us something she would say tell your story and tell it now tell your story now now while she was at the in the town telling everybody hey you know i met this guy come see me um, Jesus was talking to his disciples. He had this whole conversation with them. He says, you know, usually you plant the seed and then about four months later, you're able to harvest the seed. But then he starts talking as a spiritual analogy and he goes, the time is here where as soon as the seed is planted, look up, it's time to harvest right now. I planted a seed 20 minutes ago and now look. And it says that when the woman went and told the town to come check this guy out, they came streaming out of the city to the well to talk to Jesus. They spent all afternoon talking to Jesus and they loved, they loved it so much they started believing in him as the Messiah. And then they said, stay two days. So he stayed two more days in the town and the, before he was done, the entire village had come to faith in Jesus as the Messiah. Because a woman who had a horrible reputation that was beat down and judged and just felt like trash all her life, went and told them on the spot. She said, I met a guy who told me everything I ever did. And they're like, and I bet he wanted to throw you in church jail, right? No. Well, I bet he ran from that well really fast. No, he's still sitting right there. And that's our story, guys. That's us. That he knows everything about us and he's not bailing on us. He's still there. 
He came to us and he stayed with us. And so we can go tell our story and we can tell it now and it's not perfect. And she went, you know what? She didn't say, I found the Messiah. I know 100% for sure it's him. You know what they said? She goes, maybe, maybe it's him. You think it's him? I don't know. You want to go see? That's not the best evangelism pitch in the world. You know what I'm saying? But the reason she's our hero today and the reason she's our giant that we're talking about today is she's the first person that did mass evangelism in spreading the message of Jesus. And he picked her with all the jacked up stuff in her life. There's hope for all of us, right? So let's just be willing to tell our story. And you never know what could happen. You never know. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you that you give us a chance to hear your words and to hear this story. Give us the courage to open our hearts to you and truly ask you to give us that living water. Now, before we uh, go to the next song, I want to ask you, and, and everybody's heads bowed, so nobody's looking around. Maybe today, maybe you feel like today is the day for you personally in your faith thing where you want to start your relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe, you're, maybe you never realized you could have a relationship with Jesus, but today's could be your day. And maybe today is where you want to say, I want Jesus to be the leader and the forgiver and the healer of my heart. And if that's you, while nobody's looking around, I'm going to say a prayer in a minute. And if you want me to pray for you to make Christ your leader and forgiver starting today, just raise your hand. Just stick your hand up for just for a second. Thank you. Yeah, I got you. Thank you. I saw Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray. And this is for us. Thank you. This is for us. Let's pray. Father, we need you. Our lives have a lot of sin and brokenness there in them. But we believe your grace is deeper and stronger and more than even that. So we're asking you today, Jesus, become my leader. Become my forgiver. Become my Lord and Savior. And make something spectacular out of this life that has a lot of broken and dead parts in it. Make it so, Lord. Give us the water that we need. In Jesus' name, amen.